0: Good morning. It's good to see you today and uh, good to be back in the Lord's house. How many of you all are glad that we didn't choose today for Church in the Park? It was the first thing I thought of when I walked outside this morning. We, that was a close call, you know, one week. But uh, we had a, had a great, great time last week. I know many of you all were there, and I know some aren't able to attend that, but you support by praying and, and uh, encouraging that, and it was, it was really a great event. I, I was just so moved to see uh, people like the uh, Ellisville chief of police come, and when he gave a greeting... Decided he would pray and pray for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community. Is that not amazing? Then to hear uh, uh, our state representative talk about how he came to faith in Jesus Christ in the first building of First Baptist Church as a young, young uh, representative Matthews. And uh, then, to, of course, to hear John Belmar uh, share a little bit and read from Isaiah six, I, we are really blessed to have these leaders, and uh, it was an honor for us to get to show them respect and honor to those that they serve with. And so, thank you, church, for supporting that, and for those who uh, who had uh, responsibilities, which I know there were many of you that uh, helped make that that happen. And uh, we're so grateful. We, you know that we have a, another community event coming up right on the heels of that community service day, and it's in the same spirit that we uh, that we uh, that we take the church outside the four walls. And so I hope that you'll look for the insert that's in uh, in the bulletin. There's there's uh, an area where everyone can serve. If you look at the different projects, uh, there's something there for everyone. I hope that you'll take a look at that and. Uh, ask for God uh, to, to help us once again with the weather, right? And, uh, and may He use that again for His glory as we move into the community. It is a busy month at First Baptist. We have our men's retreat coming up as well. And uh, today is the sign-up for that. And I hope that you'll, you'll consider uh, getting away uh, with the other guys to, uh, to be challenged uh, by Rod Handley, uh, president of Character That Counts Ministry. And uh, I, I really hope that, that we see uh, another multi-generational retreat where the uh, younger guys can come under and, and study with the older guys and vice versa. It was really a blessing to see it last year. And I would encourage you to uh, to stop by uh, their sign-up table today and, and talk with them about this year's retreat. This morning, we're going to begin a new series going through the book of Jonah. And I invite you to turn there. Uh, it's located right between Obadiah and Micah, if that will help you find it. <laughs> Maybe. Jonah's tucked in there uh, in the, uh, the Minor Prophets. We're going to be there for the next several weeks. It's one of those books that we've all heard of. But when we hear of it, we probably have one thing that comes to mind. And that would be what? Exactly. Yeah, the, the, the big fish, the whale. And, uh, you know, there's so much more to the book of Jonah than his uh, wild ride. It is a book that shows us the heart of God. And it shows us the mission of God. And how He wants to work in this world. And how He also wants to work in our lives to be a part of His mission. In fact, I think you'll see that, that as, uh, as we go through the book of Jonah, that uh, it is a story of, of, of God's faithfulness. It's a story, as we will see today, an account of God pursuing and God hearing, God restoring. We see God's activity throughout this book. And I hope that you'll be encouraged by it. Let's not miss the mission of God. There are some surprises as we look at his mission. It may be surprising as we go into the book of Jonah to, to be reminded that God had a love for those who were unbelievers, even those who had, been, who had been coming against his chosen people. God loved them. It may be surprising for us to see that God called one of his prophets, Jonah, to go and, and reach People who were, who were noted enemies of the Israelites. They were, of course, the Assyrians. And so uh, we'll, be, we'll be considering that. It may also be a surprise, as we remember the account of Jonah, to see that God reached people who weren't even looking for him. Whether it was people that were sailors on the boat, or whether it was people that dwelled within the city of Nineveh. They weren't looking for him, but he found them. And in essence, they found him as well. And so I invite you to, uh, to turn with me to the book of Jonah. And uh, we'll dive in this morning. That, all right, no more puns about, uh, about water and fish and things. Jonah chapter 1, of course, verses 1 and 2. We'll see Jonah's call. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up. Before me. So we, we begin with, with Jonah and his call that God wants him to go to a very specific place at a very specific time for the reason and purpose that he has to go and speak to them. Nineveh, of course, was an ancient city, uh, interestingly, established by uh, the warrior king Nimrod, who was the great grandson of Noah. And uh, he was not a man of God. He was uh, uh, one that was uh, very wicked. And yet, this was where uh, he established a city. It became the capital of Assyria, just north of of Israel. Uh, It it became a very large city. Uh, In fact, uh, the population at that time was estimated to be about 600,000, which would have been one of the largest cities in the world at that time uh it was an enclosed city within uh, 8 miles of walls there were 15 gates uh to, to enter into uh into the city and uh, uh if you look at uh Chapter three, verse three, it even says that it's a three day journey to travel around the city, which, you know, whether that was a hyperbole or whether it really was that that long to get all the way around the city. I mean, you think of a large metropolitan area and to to walk through it would take some time. And and this was a formidable city uh, located east of the Tigris River, which is modern day Iraq. And uh, it was also home uh, to the royal residence of the Assyrian kings. And if you, if you follow the news and some of the atrocities that are happening now in the Middle East uh, with ISIS, you may have seen that, that ISIS is going into to, uh, uh, the ancient world, parts of of, uh, of, of the world that, that store antiquities and store uh, a lot of heritage. And one of the places that they've gone into and, and have actually caused damage is the, the ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh. And so, it was really a formidable place and filled with, uh, with culture, uh, very advanced. And yet we know from Scripture that it was also a very corrupt place. There was a lot of pride and arrogance and there was uh, atrocities and wickedness that happened uh, within the city. In fact, if you look over in the book of Nahum, chapter 3, uh, the beginning of the chapter even speaks about the, uh, about the cruelty of the Ninevites. And in fact, uh, history tells us that, that, uh, that they were, they were s- uh, such an opposing uh, threat that, that if people were, would ever try to come and, uh, and cause trouble in Nineveh with the Assyrians, that, that they would treat them very cruelly. Uh, they would skin their enemies alive. They would impale them. They would behead them. In fact, there was an account of a mountain of heads that laid for a time outside the city walls as a warning to those who might think of even coming in to Nineveh. And so this was the city that uh, that Jonah was called to. And one of the people that they were the cruelest to, can you imagine who that might have been? Exactly, the nation of Israel who was just south of them. And so Jonah, was. when he heard go to Nineveh, he was thinking about the cruelty. He was thinking about the evil. He was thinking about his own family and friends who may have suffered at the hands of the Ninevites. And so we can see that that it may be uh, somewhat logical from a human standpoint uh, that, that he wouldn't be so excited to go to the city of Nineveh, not only for his own safety, but uh, even uh, more so for the, the feelings that he might have against these people. So, uh, so this was the city of Nineveh. Who was Jonah? Jonah lived in the uh, 8th century BC. Uh, the king of Israel at the time was Jeroboam II. And uh, according to Second Kings chapter 14, he is from a city called Gath-Hefer. Uh, which is near Nazareth, which I found interesting. Uh, the passage tells us that he was a faithful messenger within the area of Israel. He was a faithful prophet. He was a preacher. And he, he uh, was, was, was known as one who was faithful uh, to, to, to carrying out uh, the Word of God. Um, but Jonah also, uh, we see, had a, a a real bitterness against his neighbors to the north. And so uh, that's Nineveh and a brief introduction on Jonah. And so now let's go into the third verse and let's see the response that Jonah has towards the call of God. It says in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So if you look at verse three, there are two very important words that start verse three. But Jonah. You see, the call came and it was very clear. It was very specific. And his response was, was adamantly opposed to the call that was given to him. But Jonah, but Jonah, he had the idea not to obey, but to flee. And you'd say, well, why did he flee? And he makes that clear later in the book. Chapter 4, verse 2 reads, at the latter part of verse 2, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah admits why he didn't want to go. Do you get that? Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Because he thought that God just might forgive them. And he didn't want to see that happen. What did Jonah want for the people of Nineveh? Destruction, retribution, punishment. He'd seen what they had done. And he was ready for God to make them pay, not forgive them. So this is the the whole reason in his mind that, that he won't go. It's going to be interesting for us as we continue to study the book of Jonah that there is a parallel between the ministry of Jonah and the ministry of Jesus. And how Jesus even references Jonah on a few occasions. And how we see that Jonah is one who wants there, there to be revenge and retribution. But Jesus in his ministry wants to bring forgiveness and reconciliation. So this is the heart of Jonah. And this is the reason that is, if he gets the call, he has some reasons not to share. And I have to ask myself, maybe we should ask ourselves, if there are times in our own hearts that we cease to show the gospel because we would like to withhold that from someone. I hope that's not the case for us, but let's honestly ask ourselves, has there been someone or has there been a group of people or has there been a part of the world that we have not been so eager to see hear the gospel? God gave Jonah a tough assignment to help understand that it would be as if today we received a call to go and share with the people known as Isis. You get that? People that are that are that are hurting and martyring Christians in the Middle East. But do they need the gospel? Are they our enemies? Or have they been deceived by the enemy? Hard questions for us, aren't they? But of course we would want the gospel to be to be known and proclaimed. Because of his disobedience, Jonah became a prophet who was on the run. He was running and he was wanting to run fast and far away because the boat that he attempted uh, to make his journey on was heading quite a ways away from, uh, from Nineveh. In fact, let's put a map up just to get a little bit of a perspective here. I know that's really small, but if you, uh, if you look there at the middle where the, where the letter A is, uh, this is where Joppa is. This is where he went down to the coast. Now, if you look if you over to the, to the east and to the north, about 500 miles, 550 miles, you see the, the, uh, the letter B, and that's where Nineveh is. But then look all the way over to the left where the letter C is. And yes, that is modern-day Spain near Gibraltar, where historians estimate that Tarshish was located. So he not only wanted to, to run, he wanted to go as far away as he could, right, in the opposite direction. And uh, there is a point of application, I think, for each of us here. Um, each of us, when God issues a call... Gives us the opportunity. Will we obey? Will we go to Nineveh? Or will we flee? Because there will always be a Tarshish. That is out there for us to flee to. In fact, it says in our text that he found a ship that was ready. And do you realize that when we we are given the opportunity to obey or disobey. That quite often times there will be a ship that's ready. Think about those who are. Frustrated in their marriage. Frustrated with, with what may be, may be taking place in the marriage relationship. Is there not oftentimes a ship made ready? For someone else to see a, another, another option, another path, another plan? You could, you could make your own examples of, of, of how there is oftentimes that ship that is just made ready. We know what God's call is. He's made it clear to us just as he made it clear to Jonah. But we're just not so sure we want to obey. So we look for a what? A sign which oftentimes is in the form of a ship. And we get on that ship. And sometimes we even convince ourselves that that ship was there. And so therefore it must be what? must be God's will, right? Just look, it was right here and it just seems so right, just the right time. It seems so peaceful. Just makes sense. But ask I would ask you this morning church family, is that laid there by God or might that be a, a trap that's been laid there by the enemy? It's Tarshish or Nineveh. It's obedience or disobedience. There will always be a ship that is found ready for us to disobey. The question is whether we will heed the voice of God, heed the voice of the Lord, heed the word of God. In fact, many times when people are are seeking God's will, uh, you know, they, they they're, they're looking from for experience, they're looking for feelings, and and so many times I will tell you, church, the the word of God is revealing His will. And one of my first uh, uh, encounters in in ministry is a. As a young associate pastor, I had a lady come up and, and share with me one of the challenges that she was facing and just described in great detail what it was. And she asked me she asked me what I, what, uh, what, what I thought and if she should continue praying for this other, this other way. And I said, you know, really on this occasion, you can, you can stop praying for God to show you His will because He's made it very clear. And in this particular occasion, it, the Scripture spoke to what she should do. And so I think that there are times that we need to to, to, to consider where God is, is leading and see how He has already spoken. Because there will always be options for us to flee and to turn and to run. Every time we choose Tarshish over Nineveh, there is a price that will be paid. In fact, in verse 3 it says, He paid the fare and... Uh, uh, you can take that little phrase and just, just we can remind ourselves that, that when we choose to disobey, there will be a cost. There will be a fare that we will pay. In fact, one person said it this way. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. There's a lesson here from the life of Jonah. And I think all of us could stop and while it's easy for us to, to, uh, to pinpoint some of his, his faults and his failures, we could also stop and look within ourselves. And I could stand before you and say, you know, really, I am Jonah. Jonah describes my life. Jonah describes the way that, that I would live uh, naturally in the flesh as to, to go away from the things of God. But by his grace, he has, he has shown you and me that there is another way. And maybe today there are some within our congregation, either first or second service, that are, that are caught. And you're, you're, you know there's, there's decisions you can make that would follow the Lord. And you know that there are also some opportunities out there that would lead you away from Him. And I would encourage you this morning to let the, the, the account of Jonah serve as an encouragement or maybe even as a warning to choose the way of God, to follow close with Him. Because, as we see, there will be consequences for Jonah. And you're familiar with these. I realize that. But let's look at verses 4 through 9 and look at his consequences. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. So, be mindful that he is already on the boat, right? He's already paid the fare. He's gone down into the ship. It's on the waters. And it says, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up verse 5 then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his god and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep now it's interesting as you as you read this account that there were several things happening you know, not only was there a big storm here, but the sailors were, were so concerned about their, their survival that they were even throwing the cargo that they had been paid to transport into the water. So there are, there are a lot of consequences here to Jonah's actions. Consequences that reach all the way back to the people that entrusted their personal goods or their items of transport uh, into the hands of the sailors. The consequences were many people lost their goods, right? The the ship itself being being, uh, threatened for its own survival. The point here is that the disobedience of Jonah affected others. And I think that that, again, is another takeaway for us to to be mindful of the fact that when we choose Nineveh or Tarshish, when we choose to obey or to disobey, that it's not just our lives that are affected. Think about the consequences and how they, 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 they reach other people as well. So again, if you are caught in between a decision today, I would encourage you to think also about those who will be affected. Be affected by your decision. Jonah, it says here, goes down. And the word down is used multiple times in the first five verses. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the inner part of the ship. He goes down into sleep. And some commentators have said that that word down may have been used repeatedly to make a point, to show the progression of Jonah's life and the downward spiral in which he had engaged. May have seemed to start with one small disobedience, but one led to another. And as we see the progression in his life, we get to verse 4 and we see all the way to the end of the chapter that that this great storm was impacting the sailors. They'd been accustomed to storms, but this was no ordinary storm. So in verse 5, we see these sailors begin to do what? Did you catch it there in verse 5? What are they doing? They are praying, right? And it says they are praying to any God they can think of. Can you imagine them just going through names of of different Greek gods, names of different Roman gods? Whichever God would pick up, right, is the one that they're going to be praying to. And in that time period, many people were polytheistic, they would believe in, in many gods. In fact, they're going to they're gonna awaken Jonah in a moment and have him pray to his God because they're not sure which God to pray for. Were they polytheistic? Maybe they, they, they were henotheistic, which meant that, that they believed there were specific gods for specific areas. And as they were traveling, they were trying to, to connect to the right one. That's how afraid they were, that they were calling out and crying out to any God that would listen. But if you continue reading and you see there in verse six, he says, the captain came and said to Jonah, what do you mean? You sleeper arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Just think about the irony here of verse six. Here is God's prophet. Who was called to be. God's spokesman in a particular area and an unbeliever is calling him to pray to God. The irony of verse 6. But do we notice that Jonah was praying? It doesn't indicate that he was. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said, verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So an interesting little Part of the, the account here is them trying to understand who it is that they've got on board, right? And, uh, and God worked in, in, uh, in, in the ways even as they, were, as they were casting lots and trying to determine who was responsible. Now all of a sudden they're very eager to know about Him and to know what's happening uh, to them because of Him. So as we consider here His consequences, the thing that I wanted us to note was that His decision was affecting many other people. And as I think about my life, we think about our individual lives and the the decisions that we make whether or not to follow God. Let's realize that those personal decisions have a ripple effect and that others are, are impacted by the choices that you and I will make. Let's look at the sailor's response and begin in verse 10. It says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So here we have a picture of frightened men. In verse 5 it says they were afraid of a terrible storm. Jump down to verse 10, the one we just read, and now it says they were exceedingly afraid. And some commentators will say verse 5 was a fear of the storm, of the weather. But verse 10, that was a fear of God. That was a fear of them understanding that all of this was being was all being created by a sovereign hand who was, who was communicating in a very clear way with the disobedience of Jonah. And now they are exceedingly afraid. They're not sure what they have tapped into and how they are going to survive this. And they're very fearful. They saw in the disobedience of Jonah that there is a God in heaven who rules over the affairs of men. A God whom he even said was the creator. And they saw God's judgment upon Jonah's disobedience. And they even speak of him fleeing from the presence of the Lord. They understand this. So Jonah is being brought now face to face with his sin. The sailors ask some penetrating questions there on the boat. Such as, how could you do this? What did you do? Why are you doing it? And of course, is there a response from Jonah? Not really. And so they ask again in verse 11 with another question. They said, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So that's their next question. What do we do with you? They understand the reason here for the storm. Jonah understands that the judgment was because of him. And as I I read through this, I thought, what might have it looked like if Jonah had repented at this point? But we don't really see repentance. We don't see him saying, turn the boat around. I'm ready to, 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 to go and obey. He says, throw me overboard. Toss me in. But look at what they do in verse 13. This is something that we might miss if we're just going through it quickly. But look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. A minute ago, we contrasted the belief in prayer that these unbelieving sailors had unbelieving in the the, the true and, and living God, with the prayer life of Jonah, right? They're calling him to pray. Well, now look at what's happening. Contrast, if you will, the compassion of Jonah with the compassion of these sailors. They know that they could throw him over. They've been told that. He even said, do it. But what do they do? They try to row hard against the storm of God to try to preserve his life. And say what you want about the sailors... They were exhibiting a bit of compassion towards him, weren't they? That they would, they would rather work hard and try to get him back safely, already having thrown goods overboard. But they knew that they couldn't do it. So what do they do? They begin to pray in verse 14. And it's, it's interesting the words that are used in verse 14. Because if you compare the, the words that were used to describe God earlier in the chapter... You get the idea that they were praying to any and all gods that might be out there, lowercase g. But now it's as if they they know who they need to pray to. It's, it's, It's been very clear to them. And they even use the word here, Lord. Look at verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord... Have done as it pleased you. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. So they had here two requests in their prayer. Don't let us die. And don't punish us for his death. So if you can, picture in your mind these exhausted sailors laying down their oars. And picking up Jonah. How difficult that must have been for them. They'd already received a fare. They've received his payment for for safe passage. And yet now they're doing what they know they need to do. And yes, the sea received that day the runaway prophet. The storm calmed and God was revealing himself. One commentator said it this way. He said, the sea, when it had received Jonah, was hushed at once. To show that God alone had raised it. "...and quieted it. It stood still like a servant when it it had accomplished its mission. The sea bowed in humble submission. There was suddenly a great calm, for the preaching of the storm is finished." So now they move forward. And you you may ask yourself, did the sailors that day have an understanding of the true God? And as you, as, you, as you look at the passage and you see how they responded, you can make a good argument that there were some sailors who found the one and only God that day. There were some sailors who turned their hearts to belief in Him. That God, in a very real way, found them. That He pursued them, even as they at the beginning were not looking for Him. Look at verse 16. It says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Is that not interesting? That these these men now have had the true God revealed and they feared Him. They believed Him. They called on Him. And now they are worshiping Him as they know best. Maybe they lost their cargo, but maybe they found the Lord. We began this morning by seeing that God was pursuing man, pursuing Jonah. But we see that God also allowed man to respond, which was man pursuing him. So as we wrap up our first message here in the book of Jonah... There's a lot that we've looked at, a lot of practical application about obedience and about the cost of sin and about the availability of an escape plan that is oftentimes available for us as well. But I want to go back to the, to the contrast again of Jonah versus the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because for us today, if we, if we come to grips with this message, we could say a couple things. We could say, yes, I can relate to Jonah But I can also relate to the Ninevites because I know myself and I know my disobedience and I know the the cruel ways in which I have lived. And I would say that the good news is that, that, that Jesus was a greater prophet than Jonah. Whereas Jonah tried to run from those who needed the Lord, what did Jesus do? He ran right to them and he laid down his life for them. And he went to the cross and he went to a tomb Jonah went to a well for a few days. Jesus went into the ground for a few days. And He rose victorious. And so this morning you may be here and you may need to see this picture of God's love. To see this picture of God's power. A picture of God's redemption. Because throughout the story of Jonah, we will see God responding time and time again. I would encourage you this morning. To allow the Lord to take his word and apply it. Whether you're in the the crucible of making a decision to obey or disobey. Or whether you're coming to a point of even understanding who Christ is for the first time. To receive the forgiveness that he would offer you today. Well, as we wrap up today, things aren't looking so good for Jonah. His shipmates are praising the Lord, but what is he doing? He's sinking deeper and deeper into his destiny. What will happen? I think you probably already know. Has God turned his back on the wayward prophet? We'll continue back next week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the account of Jonah. And Father, while the story is so familiar to each and every one of us, God, we pray that you would use it in a very fresh way. A very new way for us to understand. To identify with Him. But to also learn by His example. The example that He gave that is an example of disobedience. May it instead cause us to consider obeying. Father, I pray that as we see... Your heart for the nations. Your heart for people that have not yet trusted in you. Even your heart for people that have acted cruelly to others. God, may we in some way be able to sense that. And may we be able to represent it in our community, in our city. And to the other parts of this world that you carry us. Father, may your gospel of redemption and new life be at the forefront of our minds each and every day. God, we thank you for the time in your word. And we pray now that you would apply it. We pray, Father, that we can heed the warnings that are here of disobedience and running from your call. And God, may we instead look to you and cry out and ask for you to lead us. In the ways of truth. And may you lead us in your ways. Which lead to everlasting life. Father we thank you for one another. And we pray now that you would continue to bless this worship service. Not only as we sing and as we pray. And as we look to your word. But but even as we give back this morning. We know that we give these tithes and offerings as gifts of worship. And we pray that you will receive them and use them for your purpose. And for your glory. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. And all of God's people said.